How's it going? Welcome to episode 151 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 Grade. 80 Grade, that's all spelled out. And of course, Kevin Hasting is at Hasting Kevin on the Twitter. We got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to continue our 2024 preview articles. We're going to focus on the hitting side of things, going back to that route, focusing on opportunity and looking at batting average and also plate appearances and volume in general. Kevin, we are we are live. We have not done this before. So if anybody happens to uh, find their way scrolling through Twitter and we come up, welcome. Thanks for thanks for joining us, uh, Kevin. How you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. Hope you're doing well. Pitchers and catchers have reported, man. Yeah, that, that, it's it's on. It's time. Let's do this. I just recorded. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Last night, Tuesday night, I was fortunate enough to record on uh, with Sarah Sanchez and Shelly Verstrait on the Fantasy Feud podcast, their third overall episode, and of course that topic came up as well. It's a it's a wonderful feeling. Um, lot lot to start paying attention to in general um games haven't even started yet but still you're just like you're getting all the best shape of his life news you're getting all the you know we're talking about somebody who you know reported to camp in a different completely different position that we may have expected uh later on in the show so a lot of little kind of like little news trickles in we got some players being put on the il already uh just to kind of start that clock so um more little not so much signings but you know in, interesting tidbits come through as pitchers and catchers actually start showing up. And then of course, when the hitters start showing up as well, uh, it, you can yeah. always take note of the guys who show up early. Like they don't have to, but they do anyway. And, and, and our drafts too, right? We've, we've been drafting for months. You know, we were drafting while we were still playing 2023 baseball games, but now like I was listening to uh, Bubba in the bloom last night and they start talking and it, it got me thinking and looking at my calendar. Oh, we got this draft this weekend. We got these two <laughs> coming up next week. The other three are the following weekend. They're, they're coming up now. Uh, of course, the last weekend or two right before the season starts are the biggest weekends, but uh, there's some big drafts beginning to, to creep up onto the calendar here. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun time, and all of a sudden they're just here. I just finished up my Glarf draft. I know there are a couple other Earth leagues come, happening this weekend. Is yours next? Yours next? Glarf is this weekend. Yep, yep. Come, it'll be the day this drops. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like all of a sudden you just blink, and yeah, you're in the middle of these. You know, pr- most in most situations, the biggest drafts of the year um, happen in March. So uh, we're, we're, we're continuing to break down the category by category. Luckily we are, like I said, we're going to be hitting batting average plate appearances and what better guests to have on the show with us uh, than MLBplayingtime.com himself, Mike Curlin. He's been doing uh, all the work revolving around watching the watching lineups, especially in spring training, seeing the trends, talking about it. And now we, you know, we get we get we're lucky enough to have him here with us as well. You can listen to him on the Bases Loaded po- Fantasy Baseball podcast, uh, and of course, you should be following MLBplayingtime.com. Uh, we'll be picking Mike's brain about playing time construction of lineups all that all that good stuff but before we do mike welcome back to the show thanks so much of course man appreciate you guys having me and it's always a pleasure i i'm the lucky one here you guys aren't lucky i'm lucky that i have people willing to deal with me and put up with me 
<laughs> I think that goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It, it's, it goes all around. All right. Well, we got we are we are recording this on Valentine's Day, so yeah. well, you know, can, you know, happy Valentine's Day to both of you and the nine people watching at this very moment. Thank you so much for for joining us on our very first live stream of On the Wire. Uh, but let's get into it. We got some news and notes. Not a whole lot of signings, but a lot of like little news. And I noticed as I'm putting this together, it's kind of perfect a lot of these news topics have to do with playing time or questions revolving around that so kevin i'm going to start off here with you in uh, a non-player news uh billy eppelin your former mets gm he was suspended by major league baseball for inappropriately using the injured list during the 22 and 23 seasons um you know, obviously he's former GM, not active, um, but he's not going to be <laughs> no chance of being active in 2024. But do you see this as like a warning shot to all the other teams? Um, and are you expecting to see any kind of adjustments being made and maybe less, quote, phantom IL stints uh, throughout the course of this coming season for fear of, you know, being you know singled out in, in the future by other GMs? No, I don't think it, I don't think it'll be anything we notice. Um, other than the the increased uh, Twitter traffic uh, when there's speculation of things going on, or maybe that would have went on prior to this happening, I I don't think there's going to be anything legitimate that we notice come out of this. Sure, it's uh, uh, punishment like this is handed down to deter other teams from doing the same thing, so it probably does get tempered a little bit but the the fact of the matter is we don't know when these situations took place we think we know some of them there's some that we think happened that didn't there's many that happened that we had no inclination anything was going on i don't think it's anything we'll notice i think it has zero effect on our our fantasy game it definitely has zero effect on my fantasy preparation yeah, that that's that's fair, Mike. If, are you expecting any any kind of backlash here, or are you kind of in the same boat? I'm kind of right there with everyone. Like, it's it's too. You just don't know. There's so many unknowns. Like, all we know is the one guy got caught, whatever. But uh, there's there's gonna be more. There has to be either either a lot more comes out of this or nothing. I feel like there's no in between. Yeah, that's that's probably fair as well. All right, well, let's get into some actual player uh, notes that we saw here, uh, Mike. Going to Philadelphia, we saw Brandon Marsh. He had knee surgery recently. Phillies expect him to be ready to play by opening day. Uh, but uh, earlier in the offseason, Dave Dombrowski came out and said that Johan Rojas would be given the opportunity to win the everyday center field job in Philly. So does the fact that Brandon Marsh is going to be rehabbing over the basically the course of the entire spring training pretty much open the door does it make the center field job uh, Rojas's to lose in, gen- in general? I think with the fact that, you know, Rojas flashed a little bit last year and what made like, what, what made it more like interesting was that even down the stretch when he was getting some run, he started in center field regularly. Christian Pache, you know, a lot of people talk about him just because the elite gloves there, but Rojas was even getting run over Pache while, while they were playing together with injuries and all that piled up. It was always Rojas getting the playing time there over him. So that's one less person really have to worry about. And then Rojas, you know, decent contact skills. Obviously, you're looking at the speed more than anything else. There's not a lot of swing and miss, but there is some chase there. But how much of that was he pressing? Because it was a limited opportunity. There's a lot of like, you know, he's going into his first full year and part of the MLB team, the starting team. And 
I, I think the fact what really helps him was how elite of a defender he was. I think Roja, I think we overlook how important defense can be for fantasy because honestly, like my, I haven't really, looked, I haven't really looked at my own Phillies projected lineup. I'm like, why is Ross not starting? I'm like, cause I remember Jake cave kind of getting a lot of run because cave being on the platoon side of things, but maybe they're going to, you know, give Roja. I, I, I looked at, I, the way I look at right now, Rojas entering the year again, this is depending on Marsh's health. Rojas is still going to fact He's going to be an everyday player versus lefties. And then like, he'll get his, maybe he'll start two out of three against righties or something. Like that. That's how I looked at it initially. So I never really, but full time makes sense if they're willing to let the defense play and see what happens with the bat. I don't think there's anything, but more there than like just some stolen bases and deeper formats. Maybe if you're looking to stream day one for stolen bases in, in the deepest of leagues, Rojas makes sense because Rojas, that's what he did. He, he was 14 and 15 last year. Like it doesn't get much better. It doesn't get much more efficient. And that came with good batting average, good played skills. Like I said, good good contact skills. Again, a little wishy washy for uh, for for Josh Rojas, wrong Rojas, Johan Rojas. Yeah. So uh, so uh, Rojas for the Phillies. So yeah, I think this opens up a chance for him to show out. Like, hey, look, I deserve a spot here, regardless. And I think the comp- being that the competition is Jake Cave, that the competition is Christian uh, Pache, that. I think Rojas can work his way into an everyday role again, and the defense can carry that weight for him alone. And if the bat can play up at all, that's just a bonus for these guys. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Kevin, we talked about Rojas as just this kind of option that, you know, he can still be useful as a stolen base threat um, on your bench, even if he's not starting, because, you know, maybe you're not actually getting hurt by the lack of bat. Uh, But does the added play, the possibility of, maybe even everyday playing time, at least in, you know, starting off in April, uh, make him that much more appealing. A little bit. It, it really depends on what we see uh, in spring, see how he, he gets started out. Cause we want him to do something with the bat. We don't want him hurting our other, other categories. That was kind of the point we were talking about, at least with batting average, that's going to come up later in the show. Uh, he wasn't hurting uh, a batting average. Not that that he's typically going to anyway. He he's had decent batting averages throughout his career, but that's what we're going to want to keep an eye on. Uh, and then, as long as the batting average is okay, then yeah, the more playing time, the better for the other counting stats. I think the the stolen bases are something that we can almost count on from some of these guys that don't get full-time playing time. We know they're used as defensive replacements. We know they're used as pinch runners. We can count on stolen bases from these guys. It's the runs in RBI that that really hurt our teams, the lack of runs in RBI. More playing time, the more of those we get, so the better. Yes. All right. Uh, all right, Kevin, we'll uh, go with the the theme that you know we bring up quite a bit here is Miami just can't get enough second baseman. Um, they trade, they make their trade for Nick Gordon from Minnesota the twins receive reliever, Steven Okert. Uh, on, I mean, the only question I really have is how many second base types does Miami actually need to collect the whole set? Like, do they get a bonus? Like, like when we, you, you know, if you collect cards and you have the whole pack, the packs worth more than each individual card, right? Like, is that what they're going for? Are they just trying to unlock that, you know, life goal? Yeah, I, I think that's what we're doing here. Um, we had John Birdie at, at shortstop. We have Avisel Garcia who hit like 
below zero last year, it seems like, uh, in his limited plate appearances as their right now designated hitter. So just just continue to fill the lineup with second baseman. I think that's the plan. Mike, come on. Tell me you've done some work in this lineup here. What What is actually going to end up happening? How many second baseman will actually fill out like the entire uh the entire outfield infield whatever well if they really want to play there they can they can make it happen so they have <laughs> vidal bruhan they have xavier edwards these are guys that are on the bench actively that can easily slot into the outfield so in theory and then jazz chisholm can you can argue he belongs to second base with the arm give or take obviously more shortstop probably these days because i think he's i don't remember how his arm play i just remember he played up in the outfield unexpectedly last year but uh then you have Jake Berger, who has no business really playing third base because he's just not the best third baseman. But. He was pretty close to playing second. But he almost got second base eligibility last year with the White Sox before getting traded over. So it was it was destined to happen. Yeah, but I feel he's definitely a first base DH type. Yeah, sure. But uh, at the end of the day, they could do it. But um, the way I look at it is Nick Gordon has outfield experience. I think Gordon slots into the outfield. I think they've even come out and said that he's going to have a chance to earn some outfield Nick Gordon that is is going to be able to earn some outfield reps in spring and really try to I guess take one of those spots I don't project Officer Garcia starting every day maybe they maybe because the money will talk we're talking 13.25 million second highest paid player behind Josh Bell from what I'm looking at among hitters anyway sure and maybe they want to try to build any type of equity to, to deal them off no team is dumb enough to do it though I don't think but at the end of the day maybe money talks gives them a shot but why <laughs> why i mean we're talking <laughs> we're talking a couple it's not just one year now it's a couple years and i think he had one good year out of the last three that kind of got him the deal that he got with miami anyway um he's always been better at hitting lefties he's you know some injury issues last year fsio garcia is just i don't know i don't think the play i don't see the playing time if it, even if it's there to start i don't think it's long term i think it's irregular at best and then from there, this Marlins team wasn't afraid of platooning last year. They even platooned Garcia last year, right? When he was back and healthy towards the end of the year, when and this obviously the team was competing, trying to push for the playoffs and all that. So maybe that pushed it. Maybe they give Garcia a chance, but I don't. I don't know. I'm not very optimistic about Garcia's outlook. I think that Gordon's playing time is up is, is up is in the upswing. Being a lefty, I think we see Gordon get strong side platoon at the very least. And then you have guys like Jesus Sanchez also on the strong side of a platoon. Brian De La Cruz kind of slot in the middle of the lineup. I think he's safe, he's safe and steady both sides of the uh, both sides of things. Um, I like Xavier Edwards to kind of mix in the, get in the mix there. Vidal Bruhan. Problem is, is they have John Birdie, who's a better version of both of these guys. I think Birdie has done enough to at least get that shot to start a shortstop now. If these rumors are true and we see uh, Edward Cabrera get dealt for like a, a Leover Peguera type. I think Paguero didn't get a chance to slot into shortstop right away, but Birdie was serviceable. He had positive uh, defensive metrics there. He was like plus bat in the second half. I don't see why Birdie doesn't get a shot to just start there, assuming, again, as the team is currently laid out. But this team is not good. I mean, <laughs> it pains me to say it. The, pi- <laughs> the pitching is going to be solid. It always is. The bullpen will play. Well, it'll break my heart when I see uh, AJ Puck hang a, sl- a slur, a, a sweeper, and get put over, deposited over the fences. Like I think, I think he alone, side little tangent. I think he, I think AJ Puck alone was the reason behind five or six blown wins for Lazardo last year. It was a weird stat, crazy stat. I know because I had Lazardo on my main event team. I was watching every <laughs> one of them. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was a weird step. Anyway, yeah. So uh, this team is one of those things where the pitching will get them by, but we all know how tough that division is. 
We all know that this team overperformed last year. They had like, I think they had like a negative 30 run differential. It was crazy. They had no business winning like as many games as they did with their run differential. It was stupid. Um, and this team has no reason. I have no reason to believe that they're going to be better than that. They, and I think the good luck runs out, unfortunately. Yeah. Not to mention trades and stuff down the line, too. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just worth as far as like who's going to play where and how how much they're going to play. It's it's worth noting you know, Nick Gordon and Vidal Bruhan both out of options as well. So those infield options, whether they play outfield a little bit here, infield, whatever, um, at least we know that they're going to be on the roster unless they get DFA'd or yeah. traded or what have you. So um, I, I, as I said on Twitter, I also just let Miami know, you know, Tim Anderson said he's willing to play second base for his new team. So if they're looking for extra ones, uh, he's still he's still out there and available. Um, another second baseman to talk about that it, it revolves around a whole bunch of trade rumors that I think are mostly just made up by us and not by actual, the actual Reds. But let's talk about it a little bit more. Mike, uh, Jonathan India, he signs a two-year deal, basically avoiding arbitration for the next year. Um, for this year and next year, he does have a third year of arbitration set for uh, in 2026, but we'll cross that bridge when we need to. But does this sort of contract do anything to solidify his playing time in Cincy? And because that infield in general, there's a lot of there's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, as as you know, if anybody has ever looked at that roster, they understand. Uh, what's your overall take on what's going to happen in the Cincinnati infield? Uh, so I read, I don't know if you read the article that dropped today. It was kind of like a, a look at what's going on. First off, this contract, what, 8.8 million looks like over the next two years. And we're talking 3.8 this year and five next yep. year. So those aren't exactly numbers that say, Hey, you have to start for this team. The problem is with India, the defense is lackluster. No matter. And it's like, obviously like notably negative, no matter where he plays in the field, the bat isn't good enough to be first base DH. And they talked about, they wanted to play on first base DH more. So if he's negative defensively and then the bat isn't going to, have to play up at those positions, they really that he would be most useful to them. I don't see how like they said, oh, he, we, the article said India wants to play a lot. We want India to play a lot. That's also that could be coach speak, because if you kept reading the whole article, it was like, yeah, we expect them to do this, them to do this. And the only, it was like CS steer. It's a mess. We all know that. I think India. To start out, we'll probably get four or so, four out of six type of thing. I think India will play against all lefties, stick against, stick against tough varieties because you have because you have better guys, better lefties. You have to get Fraley in there, who's a, a plus versus lefties in the outfield or DH. CES, you don't keep him up to play him part time. I, I, I firmly believe that. I think the I think the way they'll do it though is everybody in the aim field will get one day off a week, so everybody's playing five out of six. I don't care who they are. I think Ellie McLean, I think they all play five out of six. And I think that's kind of their way of making it work. Cause if you play, if you play everybody five out of six, everyone's going to get a rest day. Everyone's going to stay healthy. And at the same time, it's still going to allow everyone to play almost five out of six with again, India being one of the guys playing four out of six, maybe this week. And then next week it'll be someone else playing four out of six, but injuries happen. Uh, knickknack injuries, uh, what India himself, I think he's been limited all offseason with his, he was supposed to be working on his fielding all offseason, couldn't because of his plantar fasciitis again, mm-hmm. still being an issue. So I don't think India is out of the is out of, you know, is, is exactly clear for health purposes. But at the end of the day, I I don't I think this contract might make him more tradable because now you have a t- not, not only do you still have a year of control beyond these two years, but it's a very affordable contract for for another team to take on. So maybe they like having depth. Maybe they realize it because like last year they, they did emphasize to mention how guys got tired last year. 
they're young guys, so maybe they want to have this depth entering the year, which is fine. I just don't think India is good enough to hold back the elite talents that are right there on the rise, right behind them. So, and we'll talk. I think we're going to talk more about this team as a whole in a, in a little bit. So I won't get too much into it right now. But um, at the end of the day, eh, I, don't, I don't see India being an everyday guy, and I don't see him making a huge impact. I think last year, I don't know. I think last year was kind of like the best year to have him. I think he's still a decent price for ADP purposes, but. I don't know. I think it's going to take an injury to get that regular role. That's yeah, just I mean, me, though. The the contract. So I I hate I hate it when we see a, uh, a headline that says you know player signs contract extension. I mean I know technically it's an extension because they didn't have a guaranteed contract, but it's so misleading because they already are under control team control through arbitration, right? And so he still even has a third year as as we mentioned. And I mean, if you go, you know, anybody, I always quote like MLB trade rumors. They do their article every year talking about uh, what they expect players to get in arbitration. And 3.8 was right in line with the expectation of what he would have won or lost in arbitration anyway. So going up to five million dollars next year just says, yeah, we're confident enough that you're going to do enough to get that pay bump anyway. And to your point, yes, I think it does. I, I agree. It makes it more tradable because now you have guaranteed you know how much this player is going to cost. Another team knows. And so you can can measure your trade uh, offers based on that rather than any kind of other question marks that might be coming forth. Uh, Kevin, like as your stance on the Cincinnati, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. And just the idea that, you know, I mean, Candelario is the only one that's like, he, he got the contract right in the offseason. Um do you think that that contract itself guarantees him more playing time or regular playing time to kind of stray you away from anybody else in that infield? I think at least a little bit uh, in, in the respect that they already knew they had everybody else when they decided to give him that money. That wasn't the case with anybody else. India now, but he was already on the roster, right? It's just locking up some arbitration years, a couple of the three. So I, I think it has to be factored in a little bit that this is a guy they went out and signed for 15 million a year plus and in spite of already having these other guys they still wanted to give him that so i do think there is something there yes all right let's uh let's go everybody was paying attention to on sunday uh, of course, was the Pittsburgh Pirates signing their new catcher. Um, it was Yasmani Grandal. He crashes the Super Bowl party by announcing a deal with Pittsburgh, which I think just became official earlier today on Wednesday. Uh, but I love that it was announced like as the Super Bowl was starting. Uh, uh, Kevin, you know, does this... I mean, does this ultimately only impact Henry Davis and how long it takes him to get catcher eligibility? Or do you see any any other trickle effect uh, to Grandal being in Pittsburgh? I'm not so sure it doesn't affect Henry Davis's playing time in general uh, as well. Uh, I know um, uh, Joshua Palacios is, is slotted in on roster resource in right field right now. And if that's the case, um, especially against right-handed starting pitching, which it seems to that that seems to be their thought here, then that's going to hurt Henry Davis's overall playing time because he's not playing a, ahead of Brian Reynolds and probably not Jack Sawinski, right? Uh, Andrew McCutcheon in the designated hitter position most days. So this hurts his playing time in general. Uh, I think he's going to lose quite a bit and definitely the catcher eligibility. And this just changed today. This morning, 
Wednesday morning, uh, when I looked at roster resource, they had Henry Davis listed as the starting catcher and Yasmani Grandal as the backup. That has switched now. So there was hope that Henry Davis could still get his catcher eligibility maybe after the second full week. So two and a half weeks to get 10 games. Would he play, you know, 10 out of 16? Probably if, if he's the starting catcher as the backup catcher. No, now we're looking at pro- at least a month the way it's looking now. So uh, the original question you, you had on the outline here, I think we're looking at least a month now. And earlier uh, over the past couple of days, I, I think it looked a little better than that, although there were concerns. But but now, yeah, uh, he, he's going to lose actual playing time too, not, not just playing not just appearances as a catcher. Well, I appreciate you referencing roster resource as a secondary option here. And I'll just turn it over to Mike yeah, who can, who can exactly. give us the first hand uh, uh, insight into uh, Mike, how does MLB uh, playing time today uh, kind of see the situation rolling out? I appreciate the shameless plug. No, I, this is, and it'll be a quick tangent, but this is exactly why I did this because I don't always agree with what, um, what uh, what's his face? Jason Martinez Jason, does yeah. over there. Great, great dude. Ross resource. I still look at it just because I want to compare my stuff to them. Cause I'm curious where we're, where, where we differ. And I didn't move. I didn't make the switch. I still keep heavy Davis in the lineup as a starting catcher. Does this make him more like, is he go from being a five out of seven type of guy to a four out of seven type of guy? Probably. I think Henry Davis will probably DH a little bit, give him a cut and some time off and all that. But Grandall has been awful. And not just offensively, but his, last year he was like a negative 11 DRS, I believe it was as a catcher, which is horrendous, obviously. So I don't think that like what was his calling card was the bat, right? And then the glove was not bad. And now he's not doing either. So are we sure that he's really more than just a backup at this point in his career? What is, what is Grandall at this point? 34, 30, 35 years old. So I, I don't know if we should really expect much more out of Grandall. And I'm not... Thing, and then there's they they say all the right thing and maybe they're just saying all the right things this offseason but Henry Davis is supposed to be working on his catching all offseason he's been at driveline working on his hitting as well even with some of the struggles he's still I believe he still had like a 80 86.6% Z contact which league average is 85.4 so he looked he looked good there didn't chase too much the swing miss was all league averages in terms of chase rate in terms of his swinging strike rate and these were this was as a rookie and this was a guy who was kind of thrown in the outfield last year, right? Because he's was supposed to uh, Henry Davis was supposed to be coming up as a catcher, and was. But if you look at his defensive metrics in the outfield, awful, negative nine DRS, negative six outs above average. This is Henry Davis in the outfield. I don't think the outfield's in his future, especially if they're going to make this young kid go back to catching this spring, work on it. I, I have a hard time thinking. You know what? We we had you do all this, but Grandall is going to take over. I think Grandall comes in, teaches him a little bit on the job. Definitely a depth move. I think they flip. I think Davis is going to be the primary guy. Grandall, just my opinion, is Grandall is going to be the secondary option. Good thing is the spring training comes around and we should probably start seeing how that gets handled. And if we see Henry Davis bouncing around, maybe Henry Davis is the backup catcher, but maybe he's playing four out of seven with like two as a catcher and three as an outfielder. Uh, I just don't think that would be a smart way. I think they should be focusing on, you know, making Henry Davis the future, but I digress. Um, At the end of the day, though, the way I'm viewing it is I'm still have I still plug Henry Davidson as a starting catcher. I still think it takes maybe instead of it being two weeks, maybe three weeks to a month instead. But I'm still 
I still feel confident in Davis as a catcher, right? As of right now, until we see lineups in spring. Sure. All right. Well, let's go to that mess signing and go to another mess signing, Mike. Uh, Spencer Turnbull, he signs with Philadelphia. Uh, what's his role there? And do you care? I don't care. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, it's it's as simple as sixth. I think I think Ross Resource, but this is where I think Ross Resource nailed it. I think he is the sixth starter. I think Turnbull is a long relief role, like maybe a multi inning guy, uh, spot starter. But then they have guys like Mick Abel who are supposed to be coming up soon and first round pick, and they have a whole bunch of other guys that they can just go to the minors for if Turnbull doesn't turn things around. As maybe like maybe he maybe he wasn't trying last year. Maybe he just kind of did what he had to do to get through the season with the, with the Tigers because of all that turmoil that was going on. So maybe there is maybe there is another level there. In DCs, he's a live arm. You you can see that there's value in that where he's going in those formats. But until we see him show up in spring, or until we see him see what type of role he has. And if we can, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not overly optimistic for Turnbull, but I don't want to just act like he is what we saw last year. Cause we barely saw him last year. Cause it was just, I just remember it just, it was awful the sure. way him and the Tigers, you know, ended up. So I don't know. I think there might be a little something there, but I wouldn't be again. They, again, when you have guys like Mick Abel, like right there coming up soon and, and you know how this team's been pretty aggressive with those types of guys. If Mick Abel shows he's ready, is that just another guy ahead of Turnbull is kind of where my head's at with this one. All right. Well, let's go from that, Matt, to another Matt here, Kevin, uh, a couple of minor league signings in Washington as they add a couple of new, new uh, non-roster invitees to spring training with minor league deals with Jesse Winker and Luis Perdomo, uh, which I, you have to pick one, but which one is, you know, actually earning a job and then runs with it. I- it could be Jesse Winker here. And, and this is a lineup that I've been interested in all off season. I, I think there's some, the, a lot of fantasy value here. Uh, bad team that could be a little better uh, coming into the season. Uh, everybody's all over CJ Abrams, but they seem to have cooled on everybody else in this lineup. And Jesse Winker could make his way into it right in the middle of it. We have no idea what he's going to do. Right. It's been a while since Jesse Winker has been good, but it, it's something that we're going to want to keep an eye on because if he is good, he probably is going to earn this spot. Uh, can we get back to 24 home runs in less than 500 plate appearances like 2021? Probably not, but can we do better than 14 and f- over 500 plate appearances like in 22? there's a good chance things didn't go well on a lot of fronts for him up in in Seattle. So this is something I'm intrigued to keep an eye on. There's been injuries. There's been uh, performance up and down. I I mean, we we can look at all the numbers, but it's just been very erratic for Jesse Winker over the past couple of seasons. So it's going to be very difficult to, to make a guess here until we we see a, a few at bats. I am curious to to see what he looks like in spring training. I wasn't so sure we were going to see him find a landing spot. We hadn't heard about him for a while. Mm-hmm. I was starting to think, ooh, maybe Jesse Winker is heading overseas or retiring at 32 years old. Ah, he's even 30 years old. He's even younger than I thought. That's the other thing. He's younger than most of us think. I believe so. It, it, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. I could see him moving into at least a strong side platoon uh, for Washington in the middle of the order. Uh, 
Yeah, it is. It's always interesting to see these minor league deals for guys who are like 30, 31 or what have you and not see them go overseas um, where you were, you know, you'd get a little bit more guaranteed playing time. You, you know, maybe the contract is, you know, equal or questionable uh, to what they would have gotten if they make a major league roster. Obviously there's also the, you know, living overseas. And if that's just not for you, that's not for you. Uh, but it is, it's always, we, I feel like we haven't, we usually get one or, you know, a handful of those signings. And I, I haven't really seen, any of them this offseason, at least that stand out as somebody who I was, you know, I would have considered drafting if they had stayed uh, stateside. Um, let's move to Mike. Let's move to San Diego where they have jerks and jerks and profile profile coming back to the Padres lineup on a one-year deal. Uh, he was their leadoff hitter for a while to end his last stint with the team. Um, but what kind of role do you think he carves out for himself now especially with kind of the flux that this uh offense seems to find themselves in so the back end of this uh, lineup is awful right they had they have like all we have was nri guys to kind of guess which ones might make it cal mitchell oscar mercado these are the names that were like brought in as nri types and then they signed Profar to a one-year deal that makes him instantly pretty much a starter day one i don't think we see him leading off unless they get desperate which could happen if Profar gets hot. We've seen, like you mentioned, Profar can get hot. They move him up the lineup, but there's no notable split difference. Awful uh, sub sub 100, 100 being league average for those aren't, who aren't aware for WRC plus. He's been 92 and 90 respectively against uh, 92 against righties, 90 against lefties for his career, barely 700 OPS. Like I had to double check these numbers because I don't believe that they're because I feel like <laughs> we've seen we've seen spurts of him. We've seen spurts of Profar be so good that these numbers didn't make sense to me. Like, like is he really this bad? And yes, I'm double checking them right now. A 90 WRC plus against lefties, 92 uh, WRC plus against righties for his career. I'm double checking that press career. Like I'm pressing it again just to make sure because I don't like, again, it's just one of those things where it doesn't compute that he's been that bad. A 708 OPS against righties for his career, a six uh, 698 OPS against lefties. And I thought he hit lefties better. I, I guess I was wrong. Maybe it was the other way around. Either way, my point being is that I think Profar is no, nothing more than a depth, a depth piece, a, a streamable guy. And I want to talk about Winker real quick because it was really bothering me because I'm looking at roster resource. And this is where I get frustrated because Nassim Nunez was a Rule 5 pick. Are they? I thought they weren't allowed to send those guys down. No, not allowed to send them down, but he, he could not make the team and then they have to send him back. But, they, but he's projecting him in the minors. That's what frustrates me right now. You can't project the guy in the minors just to make a room for NRI guy like Winker. So now you're breaking the rules here. So now Stone Garrett might, might end up on the IL, which opens up a spot as well, which I understand that. But I don't know, Winker also. And then the other thing is Winker at DH. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the most sense. But they've also been very vocal about, hey, Manessis is our everyday DH. Does Winker play first base? Does Winker play a corner outfield spot? So And they need some corner outfielders. So maybe a corner outfield spot. But then they have Lane Thomas, Joey Gallo. I don't think Winker is as guaranteed as we might think, assuming that they go with what they said. If Manessis doesn't play first base, then they got to figure out a different way for Winker to get involved. So I don't know. But yeah, it was just frustrating looking at roster resource that they put a guy in the minors that isn't eligible for the minors right now. And then they made a spot for him. And I'm like, well, what about all the stuff that the team has vocally been vocal about in terms of Manessis not playing first base? Manessis as the everyday DH type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, uh, fair. We'll I mean, 
unless they created a cell that said i'm predicting this guy to be dfa'd um or or just put him back on his i don't know where nunez came from but maybe put him back on the original team's uh roster page even though he's not on their roster that would what team what team has a plethora of slap hitting middle infielders (laughs) nobody we've talked about today. no no no. the miami marlins that's where you know i know That's where he came from. That's actually the rule. That's where he came from. Was uh, he was a Marlin. I can't believe pick. they gave up somebody like that. <laughs> so yeah, and he's like like a great speed source, great glove. At least I remember him coming up as like a as a pick as a as a, um. It doesn't matter. He was supposed to be known for his glove defense first, and uh, he fast. But anyway, so it bothered me. But yeah, Winker. I don't know. That's all I wanted to bring up. Was like I I, I can't slot him in until I see more because I want to see what they. I really want to see how they're going to use Manessis because they keep signing players that belong at DH. But they kept saying they've said all offseason how Manessis is the DH. So I don't mm-hmm. know what to expect there. So I'm really curious to watch this one. Fair enough. But anyway, that's, that's what spring training is for, right? Yes. So that's like that's where it's like you want to know what matters in spring training. Little things like this, the minutiae of it all. Like this is where you get your little edges in your deeper formats. Like, okay, so like you can project Winker all you want, but what if it's uh Luin Diaz? What if it's uh what's the other guy everyone loves that is an NRI? Um okay. well, okay. I mean we just mentioned them. I mean, I don't know if everybody loves them, but you got Luis Perdomo. No, so no, no, got no, a no. bunch of NRIs. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Juan Yepes, the oh, old hype, yeah, the, right. the hype machine right. that was. He another guy that's just fact that was fun, it. and so that's the thing. It's one of those things where, like, I don't know. That's why again, I'm not trust me. I'm not throwing shade by any means right now, but I got frustrated that they created this opening for and just the that was I don't know. Anyway, I'm being nitpicky. I'm being elitist right now. Don't mind me. We can move on. <laughs> I love it, Mike, and the Juan Yepes upsets me with myself i can't believe it took me so long to realize he has never hit the ball hard we, we've loved him as a power hitter for several years now and he's never ever ever not one single time it seems like hit the ball hard when i finally realized that it was it was such a weight off my shoulders cutting bait everywhere <laughs> I, don't know, I, feel, right. I feel like it must have been some highlights i just remember i remember seeing some of his bats and thinking wow those those look like great hits yeah. I think exactly. it was just the hype. It was just the hype of the time, man. We were all in. It was so exciting. All right. Well, let's talk about somebody who does hit the ball hard when he hits it, uh, and that is new San Francisco Giants, Jorge Soler. He joins the uh, the lineup in, for the Giants. And the other piece of news that revolving around the Giants lineup is Bob Melvin coming out and saying he expects – Young Hu Lee to be the everyday leadoff hitter against righties and lefties, regardless. Um, so, I mean, Kevin, what kind of you know what kind of impact do you think that putting Lee at the top of the lineup with Solaire in the middle of it um, does for e- either or both of these players? Do they actually impact each other, or are you seeing are you kind of siloing them the two? Nope. I love this for both guys uh, for different reasons, actually opposite reasons. Uh, but I, I do like this a lot for, for both earlier in the off season. I, I, I was pretty vocal. I, I wasn't uh, a big fan of, of Lee when we were talking about him. Um, I, I compared him to Luis Arias and I think rightfully so. I think they could put up very similar numbers but when you're talking about a guy like that moving to the leadoff spot every day versus righties and lefties, according to the manager, is a big, big deal. That so-called empty batting average becomes a lot less empty. So uh, I love this for Jung Ho Lee. 
He did not move up in ADP nearly as much as I thought he would after the signing. And we kind of talked about that a little as well. Uh, we knew he was going to sign. We just didn't know where. So I, I love this for Lee with another big bat behind him to drive him in. I love it for Solaire because I love him anyway. And now he's landed in a spot where the, uh, the notion is, oh, he went to a horrible ballpark where, uh, forget about Solaire now. Uh, when in fact, uh, you know, right handed pull power to the, to the power alley in left field in San Francisco is the spot to hit for power. Not that it matters much for ballparks for Jorge Soler anyway. So I love this for both guys. I think Soler is not going to get the the spike in ADP that we typically see when guys sign, just like we didn't see that happen with Lee, uh, like we thought it might. And I I like this for both players quite a bit. Mike, I saw you just sent out a tweet earlier today regarding the adjustments to the San Francisco lineup. So, you know, what, what's your overall take here? Yeah, I, I think this was a much needed bat for this lineup. First off, at Solaire, it was a much needed power bat right in the middle. I'm still toying with where to put Estrada. And I, yeah, as last year, we saw him bats. It's a new manager, though. So, like, should I bump Yastrzemski uh, down against righties? Because I know last year he hit towards the top. But I also know with Bob Melvin that uh, he doesn't mind platooning. So he'll play the strings and like, so it's like one of those things where it's like, why do I have Austin Slater over Estrada, but it's like against lefties. But then again, that's kind of what we saw last year was a lot of Estrada batting third, fourth, even though he's not that prototypical third, fourth spot batter. Do we see Estrada slide down a little bit, get these power bats up? Do we see Estrada move up a little bit against lefties maybe move Slater down? So I'm still toying with the idea, but at the end of the day, um, I think Soler is definitely top three, four in the lineup every day. There's no real questions about it. Where it gets kind of murky is now you have to play Conforto or Solaire in the field every day, basically, which is not ideal. <laughs> and uh, sure. and then so like the pitchers do the pitchers take a small hit, like a small little things like that. You guys start thinking about, but then also you look at it like that was the whole point of Luis Matos. He was supposed to come up be that defensive outfielder. At least that's what reports early reports were suggesting. So that's kind of out the window, at least against lefties. But now he's a, now he's definitely at least a weak side platoon guy in the outfield for defensive purposes and because he's a righty. And again, another team that likes to platoon usually. So um, at the end of the day, this lineup as a whole is wildly frustrating to try to keep the tabs on. And I don't know how much we'll get in spring, but I know we'll get some answers. But I, I don't know. I'm struggling where to land Estrada most, most of the time. But I think Estrada is going to be top four in this lineup most days. Uh, Solaire, and then I think Lee is definitely leading off until he proves he can't type of thing, regardless of handedness and all that. All right. uh, Two last quick things. I added one more thing just because it just came through. through. I see you're shaking your head. We'll get to it. We're going to get to this one first, Mike. Uh, We are starting with you, Mike, with uh, Miguel Vargas. Uh, He shows up to camp as a, quote, left fielder. Uh, Does... You know, Miguel, does this lead to any extended role for Vargas or is it simply just making him more of a utility bat off the bench like we kind of expected? This becomes another Chris Taylor, infield, outfield eligible guy who can hit lefties better than righties. The problem is, is I don't see where he plays. Mm -hmm. Like unless Jason Hayward completely falls off a cliff, which is possible, obviously. But even right now, as the lineup lays out, unless Manuel Margot is going to end up in the minors to start, which he has no options. Um, Chris Taylor has no options. Miguel Rojas has no options. These are all guys that are on the bench ahead of him in my, in my, in my, at least in my head, Vargas has an option. So does Vargas even break camp with the team? He should, he deserves a shot to, but where does he even play? So who gets 
DFA'd in the process? Do they say goodbye, Rojas? Do they trust Chris Taylor to be good enough backup shortstop for Lux? I know Rojas has the, the glove and all that. So that's where it's one of those things where, as of right now, I think best case scenario would be a Chris Taylor type of role where he's playing every day against lefties and then some righties as needed for, you know, rest or whatever it might be for other guys like bets and such. But as the lineup looks right now, I can't find a way to plug him in there at, without an injury. I, I don't see it. There's like, I'm looking at the lineup. I'm looking at it. I'm just looking, trying to find a way to, how do I put him in the bench? And I can't unless we get rid of Margot or Rojas or, or Taylor. And I don't think those guys, those guys have no options. So I don't know where to put Vargas. So Kevin, does this make Vargas more, uh, more valuable to you or does it just, or does it, make you fearful of somebody else that you might have liked in you know on that team that may lose some playing time or are you not worried about Vargas at all? I don't think I'm that worried about it yet. Like Mike says, there's there's so much going on here. And un- until we see it in motion, uh there there's gonna be some questions. Um there's yeah I I, I'm not reading too much into this yet. Fortunately, we'll, we'll have some games here in, in just a week or two, and we'll start seeing how some of this plays out. But uh, yeah, I don't. I really don't know what to do. I, I agree with. First thing I thought of was uh, I didn't even I didn't even go to look at options. I didn't have to. I was looking here at a page that has service time listed: eight years, nine years, seven years, fourteen years. Right? And I'm like, oh, what what are they going to do with all these guys? All right. Well, I got the last piece of news here. And Kevin, we I found a way to somehow talk about at least a former Royal here. Uh, we, we, we tend to talk about the Royals at some capacity every show. This time, the, the, the news revolves around Mike Moustakis. He signs a minor league deal just like a couple minutes ago that I saw uh, with the Chicago White Sox. Got an invitation to spring training. Um I mean, this is the White Sox, Mike Carter. So sorry once again, but he makes the team, right? Maybe. I, I, I mean, I'm not so sure. It's like we we had Mike last week, and Yoan Moncada is still their third baseman. Uh, Nicky Lopez is, is probably their second baseman, at least over Mike Mustakis. I mean, there was a time where Mike Mustakis's bat would get him into a lineup at second base over Nicky Lopez. I don't think that's the case any longer. Um, that what here here's the problem, and this would just right. Um, we apologize to Mike a lot because me being a Royals fan, I like to make fun of the White Sox, and then they've made it really easy over the last year or two. But this is what will just drive many of us insane, right? Does this mean Eloy Jimenez is playing in the outfield again so that Mike Moustakis can play designated hitter for the White Sox? I mean, that... That's the hilarious thing that is realistic uh, as a possibility coming out of this. Um, but I, yeah, I, that's the only way he makes the team, I think, unless there's a trade coming up. But I don't, I don't see Moncada getting moved um, at this point. It's yeah, it, it, it's too bad this didn't happen while we were on the air last week. I'd yeah, love sure. to get Mike's reaction, but I really <laughs> think that. Uh, I, I, I really think the, the biggest thing for this for me initially, like you said, it just happened a couple of minutes ago is, oh, goodness, are they putting Eloy in the outfield again? Do you see any other? Uh, well, we don't have Mike Carter. We got Mike Curlin. 
Mike, right. do you see another opening here or like, it's just, just, I saw you shaking your head when I, when I added it to the outline. So you've got, you've got thoughts. Yeah. I, I, uh, I got the, I, I'm sure Mike, whatever just came out of my face right there was how Mike felt too. Like, uh, 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 cause what are they doing? So he doesn't even, he didn't even play second base last year. Mike Mustakas didn't even touch second yep. base where we've seen him play second base in the past. He played first base and third base. Cool. So let's see. Let's think. Best case scenario, he plays second base. So Nicky Lopez's glove. Are they trying to make Mustakas's bat pair with Lopez's glove and hope they get it one player? I, I don't understand what's happening here. Does like you mentioned? Does Eloy touch the outfield? He shouldn't, but does he? Uh, does Andrew Vaughn touch the outfield, letting Mustakas get some reps at first base again? We know how bad Vaughn was in the outfield before. Does Mankata play second base, opening up third base as needed? I think Mustakas will make this team because initially I was like, do they want to start off, start off Lenin Sosa? I'm like, okay, Sosa won't get a full-time run, but at least he would get, you know, some running against lefty righties and full-time against lefties. So he'll get some major league at bats and maybe they want to see what they got in the kid. But this kind of tells me, no, they don't want to do that. They want to give him full-time run in the minors probably. So Lenin Sosa for me would get like nixed out of it, which I think Ross resource already had him out of it. That's fine. But now I think Mustakas kind of plugs in like, the, a lefty bat that can come off the bench late in games that could play first, second, third as needed. I don't like it just like I don't like half their moves this, this offseason, but I, I think he makes this team and he's just depth for them and he's awful. And why are we doing this? And I'm sorry. My condolences, Mike Carter, if you're listening. <laughs> Like this All makes right. me feel good to be a Marlins fan. Just for like, reference. Oh, just, out. just so we're clear. Out. <laughs> just so we're clear. On that note, all right. I think we I think we hit on all the news worth talking about on this episode. Uh let's get into the crux of uh, of the episode where we start previewing um what we normally say throughout the course of the season, this is our opportunity section. Uh, these are players that you would be fabbing to give you a boost in average. Maybe they walked into a, an opportunity uh, due to an injury, due to playing time situations changing throughout the season. Um, but now we're talking about now we're thinking about those things while we're drafting. Um, so before we get into all that, Mike, I'm going to give you the opportunity to remind everybody, you know, what you're doing, what you're working on, where they can find your work. I don't wait till the end of the episode. I'm going to get this right in the middle here. Uh, I know we got a little shameless plug during the new section, but I want to hear it from your from your mouth. Uh, talk to us about, you know, what it is that you're doing at MLBPlayingTime.com and then anything else that you're working on that everybody should know about. So basically, I basically I just like to argue with people. Well, the reason why I started doing everything was I didn't agree with the stuff I was hearing on podcasts. So that's why I started doing content. So this site was like, you know what? I cover playing time. It's where I, it's the niche I've fallen into. I really enjoy. I find myself arguing all off season with, with Jason. And I think Jason does a great job. I want to emphasize that because I don't like to, come, I like to poke and, you know, mess around on Twitter a little bit and like, or X or it's called. And I like to, you know, like, Hey, you know, like I could do this better, but really it's just a, Another perspective, I look at the stuff as much as anyone does, right? And I look for I look at it for all 30 teams. I try to keep up with it the best I can. And I like to, especially starting in spring, everyone knows me for the spring training stuff, but I do it all year long. I do it all season long and every season. So I'm like, let me just put my stuff together. So I threw it together on a site and we'll be playing time.com where every so often I'll write an article when I have time because again, it's a fun little side. It's a side thing at this point where I just do it for fun where if I see a move worth talking about, I'll write it up real quick. It's kind of like I will be trade rumors was kind of the motivation or the, uh, the concept of like, well, I could do that, but for playing time, 
So it's like, I, but I don't have the writers. I don't, it's just me. But yeah, so anyway, the main thing is, I think the main draw is my lineups because what I do is I take my lineups and I, t- I have a note section. I have lineups against lefties, lineups against, lineups against righties. And then I have color coding suggesting, you know, playing time, part-time players, platoons, et cetera. And then the notes are a nice little way of me. Hey, this is why I feel this way. And I think people will find it most useful in season. If you're trying to keep up with the trends to better for your fab stuff. So obviously I know you guys do a fab show in season. It's kind of the perfect thing because I not only do I update them, you know, every other day or so, but um, my notes will update so frequently because it's going to be similar to what I was doing with the Patreon that I don't have anymore. That I'm just kind of updating, like, hey, here's the recent trends, last seven, last 14. Here's playing time. Here's some production numbers, stuff worth noting, and why maybe I'm bumping up a player's playing time or up a lineup, down a lineup. So it's kind of, it's going to be live all season long and in season. And the goal is to, I think the big difference between us and our resource and is simply is simply the fact that not only do I offer show both sides of the like, hey, versus lefties versus righties, but I think giving context really helps because I bet I know there's times where Mark, uh, where Jason really wants to give context but can't because of the format of roster resource. Lucky for me, it's a simple Google Doc I get to upload to a website, so I have the luxury of kind of editing as I wish and um, giving context. I think the context really helps because at least it gives reasoning why my lineups might be different. Than roster resource and i think that people really appreciate the hey you're different why and i try to break it down without trying to be like direct because i think it's it comes off wrong when i'm like hey this is why i'm different than roster resource i just give reasoning behind my my thoughts and that's kind of where that part comes in so yeah that's i mean all 30 teams yeah yeah you mentioned earlier that you know, like you, mlb you reference mlb trade rumors it's like we remember they you know Tim Dierks, he started that by himself as well. He didn't have writers at first. He was just doing everything himself. And that obviously grew over the course of probably a short period of time. But in general, uh, that grew. And he's got, you know, a plethora of writers that help him out and and do some really great work over there as well. So that's not to say that, 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 you know, the work as you continue to do it and you kind of put in that effort and put in that timing, continue to get the clicks and continue to get the, you know, accolades for it. uh, That won't change in the future. So I look forward to seeing the growth that we, we that we see out of that venture out of you as well absolutely i i like i said i really want to eventually i want to get starting pitchers just like anyone else i want to get relief pitchers i want to have it all i want to be a i want to be a competitor us resource because i think they do a great job but i think it's good to have other perspectives and there are going to be things sure. we, there's gonna be things that we line up with perfectly it is what it is there are teams that we are identical on and there's teams where we're completely different and i love that there's just another hey there's another resource that i feel like you could trust because i put i make sure i put in the work and time and effort I'm not just winging it. So, you know, it's like a trusted source of like, hey, this guy's opinion is at least valid. You know, I think I've earned that respect. And I and I, I like being able to take that and be like, hey, if you trust me, I mean, there's no reason why I would lie. I, I, I gain nothing from lying about this. Right. So I give that. But um, yeah. And also, like, like I said, trade rumors was really big on the reason why I'm like those articles, those little quick articles are always really fun, simple and would be great if I could pump them out more frequently. But I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. But but the lineups, lineups are always updated at least every other day. And then um, the notes are updated usually when I make a change to the lineup. So. so make sure everybody out there that's listening right now is already, you know, they're probably already, but if you're not, make sure you're following Mike on the Twitter. You see that handle if you're watching it right now at Mike underscore Curlin and then check out MLBplayingtime.com as well. Uh, for that alternate source, I mean, we talk, we reference, Kevin, you know, we reference projections all the time obviously we're going to throw out plv projections but we're always talking about the bad x projections in 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 steamer and and atc and it's to echo your point mike like to have these different points of reference is clutch because there is obviously every when it comes down to it everybody's guessing 
like especially for this it's like you can use as much information as possible to influence your guests but you're not in these teams you're not you're not the coaches you're not the managers you're not the players you don't know for sure uh and you're just doing your best to look at trends and look at uh situations at hand and make your make your educated guesses on that so um I appreciate the uh, extra set of eyes because I don't have time to do that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you to do it. <laughs> I have issues. <laughs> I'm not proud, but I've been like this for a long time now. So all right, well, let's let's use some of that information mm-hmm. to talk about how we can best draft uh, throughout the course of the uh, drafts, the remainder part of draft season when you're focusing on batting average of course we focus on those typical five by five categories we're talking about batting average here with an emphasis as well at in playing time in general so uh kevin o- overall you know ten thousand foot th- thoughts on the on how important batting average is to target uh going into these 2024 drafts maybe in comparison to what you might have seen um in previous seasons I believe that batting average is more important than almost all of us give it credit for. Um, In spite of many of us talking about it and stating we don't pay enough attention to it, we continue not to. I think there are very few fantasy players out there that that give batting average it's due attention and i've been saying for years i'm going to get better and i think i've gotten better just not better enough i think it was uh steve weimer that uh either last season or the season before wrote an article for the the forecaster baseball hq forecaster about all of this worry about speed and this was prior to last year's rules changing with stolen bases as well all this talk about having to get stolen bases early in drafts the one thing that you have to get early in drafts because you won't find it later and you can't fix it as easily is batting average and i've come to uh believe that wholeheartedly and once again i don't think hardly any of us are giving enough attention to batting average you're you're ruining the end of the show already kevin because that's like the entire (laughs) aspect of the final section is looking for batting average late in the draft so uh teaser on that one but um uh, i mean mike are are you you know are are you targeting average early in your drafts? Are you hoping to kind of spread it out throughout the course uh, of the draft? Or are you on the other side of the fence where you, you think that is something that you can kind of fix throughout the course of the season? No. So <laughs> I learned the hard way that fab league specifically, I think it's a little more imperative to put a little more emphasis on batting average, because you're, if you get into streaming hitters, you're usually streaming for home runs for somebody you're streaming for another category. If you're streaming for batting average, that's not a place you want to be in because it, not only does it fluctuate, but typically you need a large sample for that batting average to even be meaningful, right? So I, I like to make sure it's a little more secured in my fab leagues. DCs, I look at and drafting whole formats. I look at it like I'm a little more like I'm targeting playing time, past the playing time, and trying to make sure I could fill a full roster for six months, drafting, you know, eight months of it early type of thing like i'm drafting too much for the season starts so i'm a little more um flexible with with uh batting average in those types of formats just because i want guys that can stay healthy but um at the, and and just the guys that are going to play for me and batting average is one of those stats where 
like guys like P. Alonso just randomly dropped 50 points in batting average in a year, which a guy that's been 260, 270, like stuff like that happens. And you, but meanwhile, you're drafting based on this projection of like, hey, give me 250. I'm still okay with Alonso. That would still be a 20 point cliff from the year before, right? And that's, it was beyond drastic, beyond more drastic than that. So it goes to show you that it can also be wildly volatile. And uh, which can also argue, which goes back to your argument of maybe we should emphasize it more, right? So batting average is being that one of those things where um, it's really for me, it's league specific how much I how much more emphasis I put on it, but I do think it's something you should try to get in place without it being empty as well earlier in drafts, especially in fab leagues and all that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, I I look at it like this. I don't necessarily. I find pockets of where I find these players like a hit, like, hey, these, these guys hit 250 to 260 and they offer these types of stats. Okay, these guys offer 260 to 270. Maybe they don't offer. So it's, I kind of look, I find these pockets throughout and I kind of attack my favorites throughout and kind of adjust my team as I need. So there's no real specific position or anything like that. It's just more so what are the skill sets? Where are they going in drafts and how can I build around them? Yeah, it seems like it uh, ends up, and this will get to my next question, but uh, it, it seems like. If, in order to kind of make up for any kind of deficiencies that you get early on in your drafts, Kevin, you talked about how you want to focus on it early. Um, your your only real choice later on in the draft is to look at somebody with pretty much empty batting average um, because you, you, know, you talked about certain players that you kind of expect to get a certain batting average. And if they falter, if they drop 30, you know, 40 points of batting average from what every projection said after what you expected when you drafted them. Um, it's really your only chance here. So Kevin, I mean, how, how desperate do you have to be to be going after these empty batting average guys that you can get late in drafts, but they're really not giving you anything else. I, I think, I think what I'm realizing and, and just over the past, the, this off season, this offseason, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, I think what I'm realizing is those empty batting averages, like I just kind of said with uh, Jung Ho Lee, is maybe this batting average isn't as empty as we thought, right? Any little thing that can help us out it makes it, I think, worthwhile. It, the, the volatility is the big thing, right? You can have a, a early round draft pick safe batting average guy there's still a wide range of where that could end up right there's still a very wide range freddie freeman could easily hit 280 instead of 330 that's that's going to be a four point difference in batting average for your entire fantasy team if he gets 600 at bats four points in batting average gone 280 a good batting average it's not what we expected. So that's what you just brought up, Adam. Something like that happens, you're in big trouble. You're in much bigger trouble if you intentionally drafted Joey Gallo. You're in even bigger trouble if you drafted Joey Gallo, and now we're trying to fill in with somebody that we're hoping has a good week instead of hitting 220. So it's just a snowball effect that uh, due to the volatility and not even really being able to count on it from the guys we're drafting for their batting average that I, I think it's making it much more concerning for me to pay attention to, to the range of possible outcomes from each guy that I'm, that I'm picking. I mean, you, you made the point of calling out, you know, if you drafted Joey Gallo on purpose, and then you also get a dip from like your first, second, third rounders uh, than what you expected. Um, but a very real situation is drafting somebody like Carl Schwarber and, you know, he's not 
draft you're not drafting Kyle Schwarber later in your drafts. You know, he's going in the first you know, five, six rounds, depending on the you know the your league. Um, and so you're more than likely taking that not only hit to your batting average, but it goes into my next point about this is a guy who's leading off for a good team and he's providing you with th- at least three other categories to a high a very high level but at what point does that become a detriment to how what point does the volume actually play against him um, if he's putting up a 200 batting average with 600 plus plate appearances um, or even at bats being at the top of that lineup. Uh, I mean, Kevin, does that, that's got to play a factor in how much does that volume play when you're considering what else you can get out of a player? It's huge. And we hadn't seen it be that bad before from Kyle Schwarber specifically. Uh, We saw 188 batting average in 2020. I think most of us, like we say all the time, we threw that out and he came back and gave us 266 in 2021. So great. Uh, the, the 218 in 2022, I'm sure last season, I, I don't remember a conversation, but I'm sure that it was probably, uh, my opinion that he's going to bounce back. Maybe not all the way to 266, maybe not even all the way to the 2019, 250 but he's gonna get back up to 240 or so right and oh were we wrong i don't have kyle schwerber on any teams this season i love kyle schwerber he's one of my favorite players to watch he might be my favorite non-royal to watch play no that's not true it's otani schwerber's up there though and so but i don't have him on a single fantasy team this year that is not an obp league and that it hurts but it's it's just i I don't think it's it's a viable strategy to draft somebody like that. I know it can be done. I it, it can be done. Every strategy is viable. I, I guess I, I should retract that. But it's going to be very difficult uh, unless you're getting a, at least a, a two twenty five batting average from Schwarber to make up for that deficit. So the other aspect that we want to talk about here is obviously playing time. And and it kind of leads me into the idea of kind of finding those players that are going to move themselves into uh, a better situation at some point, hopefully early in the season. uh, So you can draft these players and get the most out of them early on. Uh, Mike, like, you, you do all this analysis of looking at lineups and checking out the, you know, guessing at the, at the playing time situations. And then obviously with spring training coming up, you have a little bit more information to make more educated guesses and, and decisions on how to apply that. Um, but what kind of situations are you kind of looking for, whether it's in spring training or early on in the season that may force a player into more playing time that you originally thought what it, is it you know, injuries to other, you know, lackluster performance injuries, lackluster performances, or just the extra performance of the player that you're expecting to see to kind of force their hand into more playing time. What's like the most likely scenario that you, you would expect to see that, that you'd be targeting. So when it comes to just like the off season prep, when I started doing the lineup stuff and started like, you know, deciding, Hey, I'm going to throw this on a website and see what happens. That opened my eyes. A lot of players, a lot of teams, a lot of, tendencies you know play you know watching enough of these teams watching enough of like trends over the last few years unless a team makes a drastic change to, to ownership or to their gm or their head coach 
or manager, sorry, and head coach. Um, it's one of those things where you can start getting an idea. Like, for instance, the Tigers were are a perfect example of this, where they had, I'm like, McKinstry is really going to start for this team. They have, they had Colt Keith right there, ready to break camp. I'm like, even if Colt Keith isn't up right away, he should be up rather quickly. This is a team that always pushes their, at least in the past, has pushed their prospects up pretty quickly. Sure. You know, Greens, Torkelson. And then we see McKinstry also be, very serviceable as a utility type shouldn't be a starter. So you start looking at these situations. You're like, and then they start what they started. And then the, the Tigers are like, they can kind of make a push for this division. This division is rather weak. Sorry, Kevin, you know, <laughs> but the Royals made the right moves this, this offseason to counteract that. But Detroit's in this weird, like they can push for this division. They have pushed the last few seasons, you know, Baez, like him or not was still a move to push for it. So I'm like, oh, that's what so I started looking. These are the offseason narratives I put in my head of like teams that have been aggressive. Are they buyers or sellers? Um, and is there paths? Like, are there p- already built in paths to playing time with more, like, just more encouraging signs like the Brewers, for reference, before they went out and got Joey Ortiz, you're looking at them and all the all the rumors are, hey, they were, they're sellers. And, you know, Adamas is supposed to be the next out the door and we could see Adamas. So you start thinking, well, Joey Ortiz is there. I already think Joey Ortiz is going to play third base for them. But before that, maybe it was Tyler Black or maybe it was um, insert like a, high, a prospect right there on the fringe that look at this team and look at this team was another team. Uh, Joey, uh, Joey Weimer was a uh, Weimer. Yeah, Joey, yeah, he was another guy that they were aggressive with calling up last year. Uh, Garrett Mitchell in the past, they were aggressive with keeping him up or no, they brought him up late last last season then brought him up and then got hurt, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I feel like this team, we've seen them be rather aggressive recently. I'm like, OK, so that's a team that like I have my eye on with guys like that. Um, another another way to look at it is, hey, look at these platoon guys. Jason Hayward still goes late as late gets in these drafts, right? But as far as I can tell, he's an everyday guy against righties. So right there, I have a guy who I can stream day one. So a lot of it's knowing tendencies, knowing the how the team has the team has managed in the past, and kind of being able to predict the direction it's going to go, which gives you that kind of that leg up on maybe getting a guy ahead of time or stashing the right guys or. And I think I answered the question. I've read this question. I'm like, there's different ways to go about it. But this is where my brain is in the offseason anyway of like how I and that's how I got in. So I wasn't in on Colt Keith, my first three DCs. I got in on him, got him three or four before, right before he signed. And then now he's being drafted higher than I'm willing to take him. But um, it's one of those things where that's kind of the, how my process led to, this, you know, so far one guy. And then like a guy like Manzardo, for reference, um, he's kind of falling because of the rumors of him starting in the minors. That's fine. But is he really going to stay down more than a month, month and maybe six weeks? Give me four, four. Give me four, four and a half months of Manzardo in DCs, and maybe even maybe I don't know if he's good enough to stash. Is this Matt Mervis two point I think he's better, but it has a lot of memory. Like that's what I'm thinking of. Is remember how, yeah, all the fresh. hype, all the hype of Matt Mervis, the the AFL hype, the big the big power production. The, he didn't he didn't have the prospect pedigree that Manzardo carries, but it was a lot of those similarities. And now same thing, Manzardo was getting pushed up. Oh, there's rumors of him possibly starting down. Now he's getting, he's falling back down in drafts. So it's just that it's just a lot of like the same things. But I think Manzar is one of those guys where you can see a clear path to playing time. But the problem is on the other end is this team has never been very aggressive with their minor leaguers. So does Manzar, even though he shouldn't be, does he get this weird treatment of like, let's give him a month or two, see what happens. So maybe you should be apprehensive. Maybe he's better off in DCs where you know you can get by for a month or two. Whereas is he really, I'm not sure he's really going to be worth a stash in Fab Leagues for two months. So. Stuff like that. Um, I think that's where my brain goes, at least early in the offseason. And I'm again, I really hope I answered your question the way yeah, you yeah. were ending it. <laughs> no, it was perfect. And it, it kind of leads us right into the final segment that I kind of alluded to earlier where we're 
this is what we typically do with these is we look at the guys that we can draft in a uh, 12-teamer at the very end of your draft. We're talking the last two picks of your 30-round drafts um, that could help you in the categories that we're talking about. So I'm going to do – we're going to do it a little bit differently. I'm going to split this up between the two of you guys. Um, and I want – Kevin, I want you to give me a guy in each of these uh, positions that we have outlined here, a guy that you could target at your final pick that could help you in batting average specifically, maybe hopefully not at the detriment of everything else. But if that's the case, you know, you could talk about it. Um, and then Mike, I want you to give me someone in the same, in the same position uh, that you think is going to, is going to get more plate appearances than I think we're initially thinking, or at least the way he's being drafted right now, um, whether it's right out of the gate or early on in the season, he's going to find himself into, into a position. You're going to find yourself wanting to fab him early on in our opportunity sections of our podcast, uh, because they're, they're volume, they're, they're getting more volume than what we, uh, might've expected. So, uh, again, all these guys, the rules for here is they have to have been draft. They have to have an ADP in online championships of 325 or later so that they are available in most 12 team um, options in your 29th or 30th rounds. Um, and so we'll go catcher, middle infield, corner infield and outfield here, plus a wild card section. We're going to get through this pretty quickly. I think, Kevin, let's start with everybody's favorite catcher. Um a catcher who's available. And these are, again, we're also focusing here on a two-catcher league. and Or possibly, if you waited that long and you just go with one catcher, maybe you want to make sure that they're not going to hurt you in batting average um, or maybe even help you. Who might be the target uh, in the catcher position? Now, I'm glad you brought up the two-catcher league, Adam, because I was uh, going to make a point. If you're in a one-catcher league, like it's Kybert Ruiz, right? <laughs> just throwing that out there for those that are in one catcher leagues he's being drafted outside the top 15 as far as catchers go and, and that that so yeah definitely throwing that out there i went with patrick bailey here uh he is being barely drafted inside the top 30 for catchers uh so he is being drafted in 15 team two catcher leagues but he's only been drafted in two of the online championships that have taken place this month. So not quite making the cut in 12 team two catcher leagues. I'd rather have him than some of the guys that, that are being drafted just ahead of him. Uh, his, he plays great defense. That's going to keep him in the lineup. Uh, just a, about as much as most uh, starting catchers. There are a handful that get the DH at bats, his bat does not warrant that, uh, but his defense is going to keep him in that lineup. He hit 233 in 2023. He's projected for right around 20 for right around 230 by most of the projection systems out there. Now remember, with catchers, we're 30 catchers deep here, and we're looking for batting average. So we're looking for somebody that doesn't hurt us as much as everybody else in this instance and uh, uh coming in at, at 230 for a second catcher when we're almost 30 catchers deep uh and a guy that could get to double digit home runs uh 
it's going to be in the lineup enough to contribute in runs and RBI for a second catcher. Uh, I can stomach that 230. And being a young guy, you know, he's only got 353 Major League Baseball plate appearances. So there's some development that could happen here. My hope would be he hits closer to 250, but 230 won't hurt me at the spot at catcher. All right, so we got our batting average option here at the end of drafts. Mike, uh, is there wh- what catcher do you kind of see being available that maybe isn't looking to uh, get a lot of plate appearances, but you're kind of hoping or expecting them to walk themselves into more opportunity? Well, one guy that kind of does check real, two, uh, two boxes real quick, playing time and batting average potential is Jan Gomes. Like, boring to the point he should start for the Cubs, most likely. Played 116 games last year. Bad, he's batted at least 252 or better in three of the last four seasons. I know he's older. I, there's not a lot of upside there. But if you're looking for plate appearances and if you're looking for batting average, he kind of checks those boxes. But the guy I like to take a shot on, like, if you waited and you just need upside, Yvonne Herrera, see what happens there. See if Contreras makes it through spring healthy. And if so, how much is he DHing? Because Herrera is like shoot for the moon, can hit, can give you a little power, a little speed. In the minors last year, what, 11 for 13 on the, on the base pass, hit 10 home runs at AAA. We saw a 203 ISO for Herrera, and he also had a max exit velocity of 113.3, which is really strong max exit velocity for anyone, let alone a catcher. So Yvonne Herrera is a guy that's kind of, the playing time might not be there right away. I can see him starting two to three games a week type of thing as the backup catcher slash giving Contreras a break. But he's also the better defender probably at this point, too, because we know Contreras' limitations there. So how long do they let Contreras just get behind the plate? Is just Contreras drop down to a two-time week guy, DHing all the time, keeping him healthy and all that. I just I see a clear path to Herrera being relevant sooner than later. So maybe in 12s, he's a little more of like a, hey, don't draft him, watch him. He's only drafted, what, once in OCs, I think? So give you a reference of how little he's being drafted. But uh, yeah, he's a guy that I really like entering 2024. Yeah, I mean, these are the type of players, uh, catcher, that you've got to be paying attention to if you didn't, you know, kind of pay up to get to solid catchers you kind of trust early on in your drafts and you decide you're going to, you know, go ahead and, and tank that, that second catcher position. Uh, these are the type of players that at least you have to have on your watch list uh, to start the season. Um, all right, let's move into middle infield, Mike. Let's go to somebody you referenced early on in the show already. So I'll let you go in a little bit more of a deep dive here. Uh, played appearances that you're expecting to see out of a middle infielder that we might not be seeing on the surface. So I missed out on the memo of like, hey, keep it 12 team friendly because <laughs> Joey Ortiz, I don't think is going to be 12 team friendly much at all, to be completely honest. But I do think we're under appreciating the potential there just because um, I got to find the information. So he had like some sneaky pop and overall solid skill set. Plus, Joey Ortiz's defense is elite or at least has shown to be elite in the, in the minors. Uh, Ortiz enters in a situation where now there's playing time. So right there, uh, last I looked, there was only one projection system that had him at like 400 plate appearances. And even then, only like nine home runs, eight stolen bases. So a little power, a little speed. But we saw a guy in triple slash of 321, 378, 507 in AAA last year for Joey Ortiz. A 121 diversity plus, very strong plate discipline numbers. A 114.9 max exit velocity. I know we tend to think like max exit velocity I've always been very like, hey, it's just a snapshot of the potential if he elevates the ball more, hits a lot of ground balls. That's probably why the power hasn't played up as much. A 55.6% hard hit rate in the minors and an 88.4% Z contact. So at the end of the day, you have a guy in Joe Ortiz who could 
who who has good recognition of the zone, makes a ton of contact, has the potential to hit the ball hard, and a path, a clear path to playing time pretty much every day from day one if they decide to put him at their base, which right now, and if the Adama's rumors are rumors are true, now he's gonna play shortstop. So I like him a lot more in 15s. Um 12s, I think he could be viable if he leans into the potential some of the underlying numbers suggest. The Brewers have been good with getting players. Like if you go look at Garrett Mitchell when he came up, he went from hitting a bunch of ground balls to being a pull fly ball guy all of a sudden. I'm not saying they're going to suddenly get, you know, in one half of an offseason Joy Ortiz to pull fly balls more. But if you, I saw that, that caught my attention because of Garrett Mitchell being such a ground ball guy to suddenly be elevating the ball. And then that ballpark will play up to be hitter friendly. What if Ortiz is like a 15 10 type? That's, that's solid with a decent batting average. So I think that there's. Pass the playing time, sneaky good stats, definitely more of a middle infield type. But in 12s, he's fringe. In 15s, I think there's a lot more upside there. Yeah, I mean, it is it is something of note that when Passon announced this trade on Twitter, he called out Joey Ortiz as a shortstop being traded over to Milwaukee. So I think that gave extra fuel to the fire of Willie Damas, maybe uh, you know, the next domino to fall um, leaving Milwaukee. So uh, we got some added playing time option here in Joey Ortiz. Kevin, if you are sp- strictly looking at helping your batting average with another bench bat uh, at the end of your 12 teamer, who might you be looking at in the middle infield? I don't even think this is a bench bat. I, I I think Orlando Arcia is being underdrafted. We we have a full season after they sent Vaughn Grissom down and and chose Orlando Arcia to be their everyday shortstop. Uh, there were seventy three players in twenty twenty three that did not hurt our batting average. If um, we're, we're, we're going with a 260 batting average for our fantasy leagues. I know some shallower leagues, it can be higher than that. 15 team leagues and deeper, it can actually be slightly lower than that. 73 players, qualified hitters hit 260 or above. That's less than five per team. About a third of our hitting lineup did not hurt our batting average. And Orlando Arcia was one of them and given us close to 20 home runs. He can hit last every day in Atlanta's lineup and still get as close to 70 runs and 70 RBI. Sign me up for Orlando Arcia. I like it. I like the the passion over Orlando Arcia, who, if we remember, if we look back, he was a, I think, a top three prospect listed on MLB Pipeline's list back in the day. So um, a name that I, I remember well from, you know, my times of drafting him in a uh, minor league portion of my dynasty league. So uh, let's move over to the corner infield, Kevin. I'll stick, stick with you, stick with the average category focus here um, on your corner infield, not necessarily always known as a position where you're going to get your batting average from, but uh, from from what you can tell, is there an option out there that can at least not hurt you in the batting edge cate- batting average category at the corner positions? Yeah, I think so. Um, Nolan Chanuel, uh for for the Angels, uh, he was actually hitting leadoff for them last season because he got on base over forty percent of the time. It paid off. He did what they wanted him to do. Uh, so I'd, I'd like him right back in there this season. And, you know, it's, it, once again, we're, we're talking about a guy that hit, hit, hit right at 275 last season. 
in only 132 plate appearances. He's projected for right around there to a little over that. But once again, only 73 players were at 260 or above last year, less than five per team. This is a guy that the, the projections are all over the place on his power. That 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 this is intriguing to me. Uh, he's projected for as many as 18 home runs and as few as seven. The difference in plate appearances is only 13. Almost three times as many home runs and 13 more plate appearances. Crazy projections on his power. So so that's going to be up to each individual fantasy player where we're landing there, which projection system we're trusting, what your own projection system's telling you. But we know he gets on base. Double-digit strikeout rate uh, or below 20% strikeout rate with a double-digit walk rate. We love that. He's, he gets on base. He's even projected for 370 uh, right around there by most projection systems. So that the average is definitely not going to hurt us. Uh, if things go right, could help us a little bit. And uh, hopefully uh, th- things, things are going a little better for the Angels lineup this year uh, in spite of uh, losing Shohei Otani. All right, Mike, let's move to a guy who could be moving into a better opportunity, maybe added plate appearances at the corner infield position. Assuming Mike Moustakis is not your option here, uh, who might you be looking at uh, at the end of a 12-team draft? Uh, Doesn't mean he doesn't have to have an ADP of 690 or something like that. That's fine. Uh, He'll be available. Uh, But at the corner infield position, who's going to walk themselves into more plate appearances? so much mediocrity. That's why I was like in the thing. I wrote so much meh. Cause that's I'm like, like, I don't know that player. Uh, you're going to yeah. have to give me an actual player. There's a whole bunch. Well, <laughs> we talk about Manzardo technically 328, right? So it's kind of like the obvious go-to in terms of like upside there. But um, guys like Brett Beatty who have a clear shot at third base. I'm going to, th- I'm throwing out a few names because there's just so much. Obviously Ty France has an everyday role, but maybe he can improve and get closer back to the back closer to the 2023 or 2022 version where he hit 20 home runs and batted like 270. So there's still some technically upside there, but Nick Senzel kind of stands out as a guy that went from no playing time to, Hey, they want him to start every day at third base for this team. I know he can't stay healthy, but you're talking about a guy who had a weak side platoon role, uh, obviously previous prospect pedigree and could possibly give you like a little bit of power speed mix. Nixon Zell has that upside and he should be playing every day, at least according to the early reports. And they haven't exactly gone out to, to sign anyone and go out of the way to make to, to get someone else to take some of that playing time. So Nixon Zell is kind of the standout among all these names right now. But again, there's upside throughout, but it's just one of those things where pick your poison, you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes you have to take your medicine at the end of your draft. Yeah, and that's just maybe what you're going to have to do here. That's fine. Manzar is uh, my favorite. I will say that. But and he technically checks your boxes here outside 325. So that would be my favorite. But I'm just trying to give another name. And I'm like, there's like five names. Like they all do the same thing with a little bit of upside sprinkled in. So you have options is what you're saying. You yeah. Have yeah. And you're going to be honestly, this is one of those things where this if this is one of your last bench picks. You turn and burn it. Michael Bush doesn't work out. Drop him for Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty doesn't work out. Drop him for LeMahieu if you need to. I wouldn't do that. Whatever. But um, <laughs> other, <laughs> other that's just the name that popped up. Like, but I guess what I'm getting at is this is one of those times where don't hold on. Uh, Manzaro is kind of the only one I would hold on to. But all these guys, I'd be willing to turn and burn and just see where we can go with this. All right, uh, let's move into the outfield then, Mike. Hopefully you got an actual name that kind of stands out here. You do have one written down, so I'm going to hold you to that name at least. Uh, again, 
extra plate appearances out of an outfielder that we're, maybe we don't see right now, but you expect to see early on in the season? I don't. I went more so with the fact that every projection system only has Garrett Mitchell projected for no more than 84 games. And I think, although I see a path to that, I think that's almost one of the worst case scenarios because I have him projected as a strong side platoon bat. So does Ross Resource. Right there, that should tell you that he has a path to 500 plus at bats, assuming that he can hold on to it, right? This is the same Garrett Mitchell that was going in the top, what, 120, 150-ish in drafts prior to his injury last year, a guy that people were picking as the breakout guy going 2020, et cetera. He's the guy that uh, Garrett Mitchell just has that has upside, has potential. The batting average can be a question because there are some strikeout concerns that we've seen him kind of fight with over the last few times he's been up at the majors, so we'll see what happens there. But plus speed, some pop. Uh, great barrel rates, double digits, both of both stints in the majors. So Garrett Mitchell is a guy that I find myself falling back on as my outfielder six. So like a util type or a guy that he's at the very end of your, he's your fifth outfielder and your turn again, if he starts off slow, you just turn and burn him. But Garrett Mitchell, I see a clear path to gaining play appearances compared to the projections. That's all. That's all that is there. All right, let's move into the batting average specifics here, Kevin, uh, in the outfield, uh, somebody that's going to, you know, be your, maybe probably be a backup outfielder, probably a bench spot. I know you said Arcia, you could you could draft later on, but maybe even start in your lineup. But we're expecting this outfielder to be on your bench and kind of fill in where necessary. Who can help you in your batting average? Who you got? Yeah, this is a guy that could actually give us a little bit of help that isn't being drafted in the top 500, which, which is kind of crazy. But nobody really expects him or... Maybe expect is the wrong word. Nobody's excited uh, to give him any playing time when they're when they're doing their projections. And I get it. I mean, we got Johnny DeLuca. We know Tampa moves guys around anyway. They got all these things going on. But in two seasons with Tampa, Harold Ramirez has 434 and 435 plate appearances in each of those two seasons. The most he's projected for by any projection system right now is Zips at 418. That's still a drop-off at a 272 batting average. They actually have his lowest projected batting average. He's hit over 300 each of the last two seasons. Uh, the other projection systems have him in the 280s, upper 270s. He could actually be some help here. And, and here's something that I, I did a, a real quick, kind of round numbers math, but at approximately at, at 7,000 at-bats for a fantasy team. That's 500 at-bats per 14 spots in, in a, a standard Roto League. So, uh, shower leagues, you're not going to get to that many at-bats, but in, in some leagues, you're probably actually getting to over that in, in our 15 uh, player hitter lineups, but just the difference going from Harold Ramirez being projected for a 272 batting average or 276. I use the bat X to Johnny DeLuca being projected for a 232. And they're both projected for right around 300 plate appearances. Mm -hmm. That difference of whether you had one guy in your lineup over the other one, is two batting average points, two full batting average points from these part-time players that you're playing as your fifth outfielder. A guy like Harold Ramirez that 
is giving you enough above the just not hurting you batting average and quite possibly helping you substantially if he hits 313 again. But even at the 280-ish that he's being projected for can actually help our teams quite a bit. Those two percentage points in batting average are a lot harder to make up later in the season than it is to find two home runs, which DeLuca's projected for 10 and Ramirez for 8. Or two stolen bases. Neither one's projected for more than a handful of stolen bases. But very similar projections other than batting average. And I would venture to say most people would rather have DeLuca. They would say, oh, the upside. Oh, he could get more playing time. He's younger. He's the prospect. He could work his way into more playing time. I think I'd rather go with the guy that's gotten 434 and 435 plate appearances for this team over the last two seasons. Obviously, they like putting him in there. Yeah, I mean, this it, it's funny you talk about like the difference in, you know, those two points in batting average. They it, this is obviously throughout the course of an entire season and we're talking we're talking roto leagues. That's we have to focus on right like it's a different beast in a head-to-head league where you're only working with a week at a time maybe somebody like carl schwarber even though with his volume his batting average doesn't hurt you as much in those kind of situations but in one where you're going 162 throughout the course of of the year um that putting an emphasis on those extra two points of batting average even late in your draft um, is going to make that much more difference because to your point, yes, it is a lot harder to stream those two points of batting average in by the time you realize you need to um, in August or September than it is to get those extra two to ten home runs or you know the, the extra fifteen RBI or whatever else that you're kind of searching for. So uh, yeah, I think it's something that uh, you definitely got to be taking an eye on. Um, all right, let's end it out here in the last category. We always end our shows in in season with the wild card category. Kevin, lead us off here with this is any hitter would it, for whatever reason, prospect, position doesn't matter. Uh wild card sit, uh situation that can help your uh your batting average at the end of drafts. I I had I had this guy and the and Harold Ramirez switched, but uh Adam, uh, throughout the season, wild card is your favorite category. I wasn't going to use uh, a boring guy like Harold Ramirez as my wild card. I appreciate you. Uh, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the other, you know, we're, we're looking at guys that are underappreciated uh, in Harold Ramirez's case and don't get full-time playing time. So there's a reason for that, but they, maybe their value is overlooked. And then we got guys that at some point, everybody has loved them. But at some point, they have worked their way out of favor, whether it be performance or, in this case, not staying on the field. And this is Alex Kirillov here. Um, He's he's not being drafted in 12-team leagues. And it's... We, we just haven't seen him on the field enough over the past three seasons, but he is a guy that is actually projected for a batting average that at least won't hurt, could help. Uh, he hit 270 in his uh, 319 plate appearances in 2023, 
Uh, he's projected for mid-teens home runs in 400-some plate appearances. So if he can stay healthy, he's a 20-plus home run bat, handful of stolen bases in a good lineup. Uh, it's all about health. And I, I think that's the other thing we're looking at when we're looking for batting average the, late in drafts or on the wire, right? There's going to be a reason they're available. And for Alex Kirillov, it's health. He's still 26 years old. Uh, and if those risks can just stay intact for a season, you know, maybe we, we get 500 at-bats at a 280 batting average or higher. That, that's definitely a realistic possibility for somebody like Kirillov. The, the, the hardest part to, to get taken care of is the staying on the field. Yeah, those risks are, uh, you know, maybe not meant to be playing baseball with. I'm not sure, but we'll, you know, find out in the next year or two. And I think it's going to be some kind of breaking point, no pun intended there. Uh, Mike, we got our last one here with a focus on opportunity coming forth early in the season. Who's going to add some extra playing time uh, to their resume uh, in any capacity? What This is the wild card section. Yeah, and this is where I get to be a little bold, I guess. But um, Justin Foscue makes a lot of sense to me uh, over White Langford, at least to start the year, and not because Langford is not better. It's because Foscue is one of the top prospects, a first-round pick in his own right. He's already on the 40-man, 18 home runs, 14 stolen bases, and 563 play appearances at AAA. I know it's a hitter-friendly AAA, but still AAA, AAA nonetheless. And, you know, he showed a 90.8% Z contact percentage. That's Justin Foscu, a, a 90, almost a 91% Z contact rate while hitting a max EV of 109.9. So the power isn't a fluke. There's good plate skills. And in those 563 plate appearances, Foscu walked more than he struck out at AAA last year. He's 25 years old. He has no reason to be in the minors anymore. And I know he's not the prospect that Langford is. Langford's 20 with 80 combined appearances between the upper minors i i can see why if langford crushes in spring he gets a shot first that's not even really much of a question but foscue could easily just come in be a little bit of utility type dh type and he can easily slot in it makes a lot of sense to me i don't think it should be such a hot take but i know it is because everyone's in on white langford and expects him to be day one starting but Last time I checked, it's really common for a 20-year-old with 80 career plate appearances in the upper minors to struggle. You have Cam you have Camonero being sent down while crushing um Dominican League or talked about because he needs to work on his defense. I don't think that's the case for Langford. Maybe this team won't be that way, but we're so optimistic with prospects because of the call-ups last year. I wonder if we're overdoing it and overthinking it. And maybe like like I said, it just makes some sense if Foscue kind of checks. Like when you think of a if you before this year. If I told you there was a prospect that was 25 years old that did what he just did in the minors, that this team has an opening form day one, especially if Seager misses time, I don't know if Semyon will play shortstop, but if Semyon can play shortstop again, which he hasn't in forever, Foskey could play second base. It wouldn't be the prettiest defense up the middle, but it's there's a, there's a path to it right there too. So I think it's one of those things where if I laid out this whole argument prior to this year, Foskey would be 10 times out of 10 everyone's pick to make the team over Langford. But everyone just has it's a big hype thing. And I think Langford, I wouldn't be surprised if Langford does, but I wouldn't be. I think Foskey is being wildly overlooked. He's not even being drafted in 15s fab leagues. And I don't blame you right now. You can't, but spring train comes around, Foskey starts hitting well, and you see him get plugged into these lineups with the starters. 
I mean, if he if he does, then you'll know. Then there's something to it. So Foskey is kind of this wild card of there's a little bit of fantasy juice there, especially for deeper leagues where I've drafted him in the 600s and DCs and stuff because I think that Foskey has a clear path to playing time sooner than later. I don't. Again, I don't. I want. I want to stress. I don't think he's better than Langford. I just think he checks those boxes in terms of why he. Why it wouldn't be surprising to see Foskey get that opportunity before Langford. That's all. But yeah, people, uh, pe- people will sit there and you know I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get crushed for that. I, I know it. It's 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 not the it's not consensus. I'm very very. I don't know why. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. We got a uh, one of our one of our strongest listeners, David Odom, who's in every one of our listener leagues, uh, and then some. Uh, he he messaged us right after the la- uh, last episode of the episode prior uh, with that with after we talked about Corey Seager and gave gave up the exact same suggestion that you are that you kind of alluded to a little bit as far as the possibility Seager not being ready uh, you know going to extended spring training whatever and then moving Simeon over to shortstop just for a short period of time opens the door for Foscu there not to mention the opportunity of kind of moving him around in the outfield as you, as you're talking about as well to start the season in Texas. So uh, I like when I saw the name on the outline in this section, I was excited to be able to, you know, call that out as well. And so I'm glad that you basically, you, you have at least one other person thinking the exact same way as you, <laughs> Mike. So <laughs> may, I don't think you get, I don't think you get roasted as much as you think. I think if you get roasted, it'll just be from the people who just like to, roast you i don't well, think it'll be because of that that take and <laughs> it's not as I, I, I always want to stress that it's a matter of just looking at it and trying to make sense of the situation sure. not so much like i think we're all wish casting on Langford a little bit including myself because i want to see Langford in before i caved the pressure and changed it. i actually had Foscu initially projected to start over Langford, and i realized that's really bold but i just i guess i wouldn't be surprised and i think that nobody should be surprised if that's the case because i can't tell you the last time what Juan Soto was the last guy to kind of skip upper minors and kind of, and just kind of come up and actually find success. I can't think of an injury. Robles was the next guy up, but he got hurt. And that's kind of what I'm getting at was how rare, how rare is it for a player? Evan Carter came up kind of quick, but he had like think over a hundred, a hundred play. He had, he had a bigger sample too, even though he's young and people cite Evan Carter as like, Oh, look, they called him up at 20 years old. Evan Carter had, what 97 uh, 462 play appearances at double a last year that's 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 like what 10 times the amount that Langford's had like and that might be actually less or more i, I think Langford had less than 10 so yeah Langford had 54 play appearances at double a so yeah i don't know man i just think i, I don't know I, I i hate to be that guy and i don't i don't want to i'm not a bold take guy but man it's just i i all these years i've never seen a guy jump that quickly through and be like, Hey, you're starting day one on a team with competitive. I don't know. I, I mean, of know. course the, the wild card here as well is the idea that Linkford, if he starts on day one has a has the ability or the possibility of winning rookie of the year in the American yeah, league. And he's 22 and that draft pick. Uh, does Foscu have that now? What Foscu no. does have is like, as you pointed out, the already being on the 40 man roster. That's just one small hurdle that he doesn't have to, that he doesn't have to jump over um, as opposed to other options that either Texas would have, or, you know, in any, any case, and we've seen, we've seen players jump over that. Of course, um, he was drafted it, it last happen, year. But yeah, I <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I know the angel, the angels do this stuff. I know the angels do this stuff. I get it, but the Rangers have never done this before. 
And look what look how much run Carter got, and look how much right, they have other guys that are. I just don't understand why they feel they feel the need to rush Langford. And I guess maybe maybe we are in that day and age where you mentioned that that the extra pick. I understand Langford has the potential to do that where Bosque does not. There's no arguing that. But man, I can also see a world where Langford just gets tore up by pro pitching because you also get nothing for second place. You get nothing for second yeah. place uh, except the player himself can get an ad uh he can get an extra year of service time added on so there's a lot of benefit for the player um in yeah. a very small chance that the team you know walks away a winner which you know i'm perfectly fine with personally but that's yeah. just me <laughs> no I, I hear you and then of course you put langford in day one you have langford and carter both going for it, so you're going two at the same time for one yeah I mean, Atlanta saw that with uh, Michael Harris and, and Strider. I mean, going one, two in rookie of the year in, the, in that season. So, hey, more uh, the better odds for the team to win that to win that uh, award. Uh, I'm sure yeah. they're okay with it. At the end of the day, though, Langford can they can both coexist to start off the year. It's kind sure. of also another thing. I, I guess it's not one or the other type of thing. Here is kind of another thing to drive home real quick is that we just talked about how if Seager's not ready, Foss, you can kind of fill in. So there's there's a world where they coexist, but at the end of the day. I wouldn't be surprised if Langford gets held down a little bit just for some seasoning because, you know, God forbid they give him a chance to get acclimated to upper minors pitching. God forbid. But yeah, I mean, but I mean, yeah, we all, we all, trust me, we all want Langford to break camp. I just, 80 played appearances in upper minors. Come on, man. All right. Well, we'll see how that all works out, especially in spring training. If they kind of stretch him out all the way to the end, or if they send them down early, uh, we'll kind of see. We'll get our answer. They'll, they'll they'll show their cards. Texas, that is, uh, at some point in spring training, we'll be watching for that. Uh, that that pretty much wraps it up, Kevin. You want to lead us off with any uh, Valentine's Day themed? I'm kind of putting words in your mouth. You say whatever you want. Uh, any kind of words of wisdom that having to do with uh, drafts going into uh you know we're in mid-february no it's just it, it's come up throughout the off season came up throughout this show uh sometimes take a, a two-minute pause and do the do the math it, 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 and i'm not talking hard math just sit down and crunch a couple numbers real quick what's the difference between a 270 or a 230 guy as my sixth outfielder if he gets 300 at bats what, what's that do to my team? Just take a look at it. Don't assume you know. It still one of the things, and it, it's something I love. Some of the people that do this, absolutely love them. But so many people with on different podcasts or in articles or just in conversation, they'll be talking about. Yeah, I can see that. I I can see a couple more stolen bases out of him. I need to move him up a little bit. Why and how far? Right, a couple. Because a couple more stolen bases, that's not enough for me. Just do a couple of minutes of math, see what it does, and and, and that will help you make decisions. Sure, I mean they're gonna take the place of somebody else as well. So like somebody has two extra stolen bases, and you're gonna replace them over somebody what who doesn't have those two extra stolen bases. So yeah, it, there's other it, nothing's in a vacuum. Um, right. No decision you make is gonna be in a vacuum. As I talked about with Sarah and Shelly on Fantasy Feud the other day, uh, every decision you make has a trickle-down effect, and so you have to consider that um, as well. So I like those uh, words of wisdom there. Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, your insight is greatly appreciated, obviously, with the experience you have with MLBPlayingTime.com. 
and remind everybody else if is that basically all of your attention is going to that site right now correct yeah un- unintentional uh, consequence of being part of the many layoffs that happened in this industry no it's a uh, it's a uh, yeah so the tongue in cheek really i had a great run over there at the athletic but uh, yeah so basically i just kind of put my time and effort into that now so yeah uh, and if you just follow me on Twitter, I just put everything there. So, yeah, follow Mike at Mike underscore Curlin wherever you know you're watching this still on Twitter. The four of you, congratulations! Uh, you see his title, his tag right there. You can follow me at eighty grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hastings Kevin. Follow the show itself at On the Wire Pod, and that's going to wrap it up for episode one fifty one of On the Wire. Once again, thank our guest, Mike Perlin, for joining us. You can follow him on the Twitter, follow us on the Twitter, all that stuff. Mike, thank you so much. After all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye. Goodbye.